begin our lesson. Last time, uh, we saw the closing of the, of the chapter of time um, in Genesis regarding Abraham. Talked about his, he took a wife, Keturah, they had children. Said Abraham gave his children gifts while he was living, but the inheritance all went to Isaac. And that inheritance not only included Abraham's worldly goods, but also, according to God's direction, Isaac was the child of the promise. And so Abraham died at the age of 175. Isaac and Ishmael came together and buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is where Sarah was buried in the land that Abraham had purchased. And then Isaac lived at Beer Lohai Roy. I don't know if I said that right. The well of the living one seeing me, that's when Hagar made her first trip away from Sarah as her master, as her mistress. That's where God came and visited Hagar and said, go back, do what Sarah says. And Hagar was the one that named that well. And so then we also took a review of the generations of Ishmael. He had 12 sons that were 12 princes. They settled east of Canaan, and Ishmael himself settled in that area as well. And of course he said, the scripture said he did that in defiance of his relatives. So that's an interesting statement. Here's his 12 sons living in the general area. And when he settles there, it's a defiant move on his part. Was it his 12 sons that said stay away? I don't know. but. Somebody in his family chain said, you don't belong here, but he went there anyway. We also saw that Isaac and Rebekah, through Isaac's prayers concerning the fact that Rebekah was remaining uh, um, barren, that, that the Lord would allow her to become pregnant. She did and was pregnant with twins. And she noticed these twins struggling within her. And she went to God about that. God told her, there are two nations in you. And the older will serve the younger. And so indeed, um, the time for birthing the twins came. And the firstborn was Harry. And so he was named Esau, which means Harry. And he became an outdoorsman. Uh, I heard some folks talking about getting a deer this morning and uh, hunting with a bow. Well, that's what he was good at, was hunting with a bow. And so that's what he did. Jace, Jacob's name means heel grabber, and he was the domesticated twin. I don't know if, I don't mean that in any kind of a derogatory way, but he liked being around the house. Uh, he obviously was a cook because one day Esau comes home hungry and uh, made a big deal about that. Maybe he was extremely hungry, not trying to say he wasn't. And Jacob is cooking some red stew. We find out that it's a lentil stew a little later. And he's asking, Esau is asking Jacob for some of this stew. I'm, I'm starving. Give me the stew. And Jacob holds out until es Esau will not only promise to, but swears his birthright is traded for that stew. And it ends the chapter with this statement, Esau 
despised his birthright. What does that mean? Why do you think God had Moses pen it that way? What was it that was Esau despising his birthright? Gave it up for a bowl of stew. And for some of us, the fact it was lentil stew might even have diminished even more his value of his birthright. Uh, don't be wrong, I've had probably good lentil stews, but if you ask me what kind of stew do you want us to fix, that would not be my first choice. So here is Esau seen in this act, and that is an act that showed he valued his birthright very little. And there's probably a lesson in that for us. What have we been given? What is it that the born-again believer has? Salvation. Salvation, and you could keep going. I mean, it doesn't stop there. Um, in the words in Ephesians, it's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, everything necessary for salvation. When we have been given Christ himself, when talking about money, Paul says, um, uh, I've got the last half of the verse, but um, huh. now I don't even have the last half of the verse. Uh, it ends with, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What's the first half? Hebrews 13.5, that's correct. Let your way of life be free from the love of money in the New American Standard. I need the reference to get started on it. And, and the point there is, what, why are you, you going to value money? Jesus himself said, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. So what you have is so much greater in value. Jesus gave us the parable of the pearl of, of great price which another group has borrowed that term, but it's talking about finding a, a pearl in a field or a gem in a field and given everything to get that field bought because of the great value of what you see in that. And I guess I would say to us, we need to stop and think about some of the decisions we make in life, particularly those that are sinful or self-centered. Anything self-centered is sinful, right? And when we're self-centered and we're sinful, what does that say about how much we value our birthright? I mean, we, we can easily go down the same path as Esau. And we do it so easily, we probably do it, I do it, I'm sure, often and don't even know it. Um, did Esau sit there and think, well, I don't think my birthright's of any value? He probably didn't think much. He probably just knew the priority for me at this moment is not being hungry. And so he went down this path. So anyway, with the wholeness of what we reminded ourselves in a minute, that's the context <coughs> or the path that we've been on in Genesis. Today we begin to pick up Isaac and his life uh, beyond that. So let's read Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 34. <coughs> Excuse me. Who, who was... Before you get started. Yes, sir? So Esau, since he was the first one born, even though they're twins, he was 
he would have received the oldest child's birthright, which was different than the second. The, the way they would do that traditionally was if there were three kids, they would divide it into force and the oldest would get two portions and everybody else would get one portion. But in addition to that, and we'll see it when we get over to the time in which um, Isaac is blessing his sons, there's also a special blessing for the firstborn and the firstborn becomes the head of the family. And, and that too went with what Esau was doing. Okay? All right, so who can read, go ahead. the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar and Abimelech the king of the Philistines. Uh, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land with, of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For, you, for to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give uh, to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest these men of the place, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebecca, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich, and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled the earth with well, all the wells that his father, his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug the wells, dug again the wells of which, the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called the name Rehoboth. Re 
Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Abuzah, his advisor, and Philcal, the, army of his, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. He made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servant came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was forty years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they made life better for Isaac and Rebecca. Say that again, that last sentence? And they made a oh, bitter. Sorry. Bitter, yeah. yeah. There was a little difference there in, in your version than ours. Thought we would clear that up before we went on. So we've, we've got a number of events in Isaac's life as he moved on past his father Abraham. And uh, so we get to look at those today. We'll see if we get... To the end of this or not but in verse 1 uh, it says there was a famine in the land now where is Isaac when the famine comes do you remember well if we I didn't write down the verse but if we look back a little bit he was at Beer Lahai Roy remember we said that in our review uh, which is um, in the Negev on the way to Shur I should have marked that on my little map I build up here, but it's actually south. It's probably down over in this area, but I did not, I did not put it there, and I'm a little hesitant to be too directive on that because I might be wrong. But it's about 50 miles south of Beersheba, and I do have Beersheba in my rough drawing up there. And there's a famine, and the scriptures say, not Abraham's famine, this is another famine. And so Isaac goes to Gerar, and meets up with Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now, when we were talking about Gerar and Abraham, it was a little unclear at times whether he was in a city area or out in the country. But in this case, we'll see later, it's clear that um, Isaac is settling or move, going to the capital area, the, the primary city. As a matter of fact, Gerar... They think they found it um, in their excavation under the name of Tel Haror. And it's one of the largest cities in Canaan, if they've got it right in their archaeology. About 40 acres in size, which was big for that day. It's in the western Negev. And you can see where I have marked Gerar up there as a city. 
Now he goes, it says, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Have we run into the name Abimelech before? Well, the commentators, um, I don't know why I found it here and didn't find it in the other place, but they believe that Abimelech is likely more of a title or a name that goes along with being the king rather than a specific Abimelech that it's the same Abimelech that Abraham worked with down in the area because this is about 90 years later. So if it's the same Abimelech, he either was very young when working with Abraham or he's very old now. And we'll see something else in a little bit that kind of makes us think it's probably more likely a title. But that's where he goes. He goes to um, uh, the area of Gerar and to the Bimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Philistines are the group that settled down in this area uh, following the flood and, and so on. That's, that's the group that ended up down there. And so that's where he is. And the Lord comes to him and says, don't go to Egypt, stay in the land I tell you. Now, why was God needing to say, don't go to Egypt? In the famine in Abraham's day, why, where did he go? He went, to Egypt. he went to Egypt. Egypt is the common place to go in case of a famine. And anything we say about why that would be normal or be the first place to think of is a bit conjecture. But apparently, and we know for sure, Egypt was a pretty fertile area. And so that's where you could go find excess foodstuffs, and so Egypt was an attractive place. In verse 3, God says, sojourn in this land. In other words, travel around here. I'm going to be with you. I will bless you. I'll bless you and your descendants. I'll give you the lands that you're sojourning over. And he says, I will establish an oath with you as I swore to your father Abraham. So here is God coming to Isaac saying, stay around here. Stay where I lead you. I give you a similar oath, and your descendants, just like I promised Abraham, will inhabit this area. In verse 4, he goes on to say that your descendants will be multiplied as the stars of heaven. I will give them all these lands, and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Does this sound familiar? It should. It's he is the child of the promise. And these were the promises to Abraham. They've been now moved down to promises for Isaac. And God gives a reason for it. Why? Because Abraham obeyed me. Uh, New American Standard says he kept my charge, meaning he saw the mission, he saw the intent, he saw where we were going, and he kept going on that path. And then he talks about following commandments, statutes, and laws. <coughs> so Abraham worked at following God's direction as a result with Isaac being the child of the promise God says I'm, I'm passing this on down and I'm honoring Abraham as I do it because of his faithfulness in verse 6 we get Isaac's response to that directly from God so it tells us because of that Isaac lived in Gerar and then he gets to also experience another thing similar to his father Abraham when the men asked about his wife, she said, he said what? Sister. He said, she's my sister. Why? 
she's pretty and I don't want to die so somebody can take her away from me in the process. And so this is his thought process. It's, we're told that in verse 7. And it says when he'd been there a long time. How long's a long time? I don't know. But he apparently was there an extended period of time. Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out through a window. And what did he see? Isaac. With Rebecca. Yeah, the, some versions say laughing. The American Standard translates it caressing. I think we can quickly understand... He was with her as a husband would be with a wife in some fashion. Some level of, what do they call it in school, PDA, public display of affection? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's some PDA going on, and Abimelech sees that, so he calls Isaac in and says, Behold, because of what I saw, there's no doubt in my mind, she's your wife. How then did you say she's my sister? Well, good for Isaac, he didn't add another lie on top of it. He was very honest because I said, I might die on account of her. So Abimelech responds to that. What have you done to us? One of the people might have lain with your wife, might have become sexually involved with her, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech clearly understood that that would have been wrong for the people to do, and the guilt would have fallen on them. And so Abimelech takes control of the situation and he tells all the people, he who touches this man or his wife shall be put to death. So now Isaac has everything all set for the future. The king has said, leave him alone, leave his wife alone. I'll put you to death if you bother him. But things don't stay that clean for Isaac there in the city of Gerar. In verse 12, it says, Isaac sowed in that land and he reaped the same year a hundredfold. So... He got a nice increase on his crop. Plant a bushel of seed, get a hundred bushel of produce. And the Lord blessed him. So <coughs> was it just that Isaac was a great farmer? Which, by the way, is an interesting thing at this point in time, farmer. Um, no, not by itself. The Lord was blessing him. The Lord had made promises. The Lord was keeping them. And Isaac became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. And he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household. When you hear that great household, what do you think of? Lots of servants. Lots of servants. Would you say Abraham had a great household? Yeah. yeah, he had a great household. As a matter of fact, out of his household, his own servants he was able to muster an army to go chase down the kings from the eastern part of the area when they carted off the people of Sodom and some from around the area including Lot and so it says the Philistines envied him I had an interesting conversation with somebody this last week we were talking over previous employment and all that kind of musings of stuff that really is kind of meaningless but looking back over the years <clears throat> and for a moment we talked about uh, pay and some things that had happened where there was some envy regarding pay when somebody gets paid more than you does that hurt you does that bring harm to you that they're getting more than you are no. if we paid them a million dollars an hour somehow that take away from you well you could say well if you paid him a million dollars an hour you don't have money left to pay me more 
So, I mean, there's some math that can get involved here, but, but by and large, people envy things that other people get when they're getting what they bargained for. You know, they're not harming them. As a matter of fact, in the workplace, a lot of times, if you want to see the pay scale go up, let somebody in the group start making a lot more money. They'll look around and go, well, if we want to keep the rest of them, we're going to have to pay them too, that kind of a thing. So if you're working equally to the person that's paid more than you, eventually that'll probably come to light and get taken care of. Not always. There are injustices in the workplace. I won't try to deny that. But here are these Philistines, and they're looking at Isaac going out of envy. This isn't right. I mean, you can tell it's not right because they took some action. Now, all of the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abram, his father, the Philistines had stopped up by filling them with earth. So there were wells that Abraham had dug in the area that they, they filled up. And you can tell there's tension because in verse 16, Abimelech says to Isaac, a little bit ago he'd said, don't harm him or his wife. If you do, you've got a death penalty over you. Now he says, go away from us. You are too powerful for us. And that's just an interesting thing to have happen. Don't see anything that was unfriendly between them. Don't see Isaac doing anything that would cause them troubles. And if somebody attacked, would you like to have Isaac on your team? Probably. But for whatever reason, Abimelech sees Isaac as a problem because of his uh, increased influence and power. And so in verse 17, Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And there's a little bit of a river valley that comes out here. Hence, kind of off toward Beersheba, might even actually get there. So he's in Gerar specifically. But now he's going to the valley of Gerar. So what Isaac is doing is moving from the city to the rural. And he's camping. We don't know in Gerar if he was setting up tents or not. But it's pretty clear as we work through our, the passage today, Isaac is a tent dweller. And so he is truly a sojourner. That's how a sojourner would typically live, moving through the area. And so he goes and camps in the valley of Gerar and settled there. So, okay, I'm not welcome in town. He moves out of town, gets away from the people of the city. And so then we get into another challenge for Isaac because he's challenged by, um, as he goes out, he digs the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham for the Philistines had stopped him up after the death of Abraham, already mentioned, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. And so he re-digs <clears throat> re these wells. <clears throat> but when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well there of flowing water, a spring is what we heard earlier, so they got really good water, the herdsmen of Gerar, so now we've got the rural people, the herdsmen quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac saying, the water is ours. How did Isaac respond to that quarrel? Yeah. Well, first of all, he named it Essek, which means contention. So he goes, this is the well of contention. So um, they dug another well. So, they, okay, you want that well? Fine. They go dig another one, and they quarreled over it too. 
So he named that one Sitna, which means strife. So things are continuing down that same path. And so he moved away from there. Now he didn't just dig another well. He actually moved away from that area, dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. And he named that one Reboth, Rehoboth. For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us, room for us and we will be fruitful in the land. And that last one means wide places. Found a wide place. They're leaving me alone. We've got enough room. We can coexist here. Or they're not even here, so it's room for us. Now, when they quarreled over the first well, Isaac just simply abandoned it for his own use and dug another one. They quarreled over the second well. He abandoned it for his own use and then dug this third one. When those first two quarrels came, was that the only option Isaac had? No. What could he have done? Could have gone to war. Yeah, he had, he had a, we don't know what he had for men to come into uh, armed conflict, but clearly the king had said, Bimelech had said, you're too powerful, you've got to go. Um, this city isn't big enough for the two of us, kind of a comment. And who knows, maybe Isaac even had enough power at that moment, he could have just simply stayed and said, make me leave if you want to. You can try. Um, but he doesn't. He goes. And so he goes out. He, he is continuing to move without putting up any kind of an earthly battle. He just keeps moving till he finds a place. And I think the reason why is clear and we ought to really emphasize it in verse 22. If you look at 22, he named it Reboath, for he said, At last, who the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. What was Isaac depending upon for his safety and his place and his continued prosperity? The Lord. The Lord said, I'm going to bless you. Stay in this area. He also said, sojourn. So here is Isaac being very obedient and relying on the God Jehovah just as Abraham had done. And because he had not been led into some sort of a play of force, he was looking to the Lord to provide, and the Lord provided. Even though he had to make a couple of moves, and make a few wells as he went. <coughs> Questions, comments so far? Okay. So there we pick it up in verse 23. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. Okay, so he, he keeps on going down the valley and gets to the area of Beersheba, and that's where he winds up. And the Lord appeared to him in the same night. So apparently the night he arrived... And he said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. God identifies himself. Don't fear, I am with you. So he is reinforcing what Isaac has been doing, reinforces his promises to him. He says, I will bless you and multiply your descendants. So how many descendants does Isaac have right now? Huh? No, he's got two. He's got Jacob and Esau. And... Multiply your descendants. How many descendants will Isaac have at his death? Two. 
two. So he's got all of his first generation descendants that he's going to have. So clearly God is talking about what will come later. And he says, I'm doing this for the sake of my servant Abraham. Now what, how could this be for the sake of Abraham? God gave him the initial blessing, including the initial promise. And he, Abraham was promised what? His descendants would be beyond number, basically, with the examples that God used. And yet, while Abraham had other children, there was only one child of the promise, right? And that is Isaac. And Isaac had to know that. He had to know his family history. He had to know about Ishmael. He obviously knew about the other half-brothers and sisters that he had. And so um, it's a promise to Abraham that's being fulfilled in Isaac and will continue to be filled through the generations because the many descendants are not real time in Isaac's life descendants. And so God is saying my, my promise to Abraham is being fulfilled in you and it's for that reason and that's a part of why I am blessing you. In verse 25 we get Isaac's response. He built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. And I, I think we ought not go by that too quickly. That called on the name of the Lord there is what? What, how would, what would you use as words to label that act? Worship. Worship. Isaac stops there. He builds the altar. This is the place to focus upon God. And he dedicates and worships God there and shows his allegiance and his dependence upon God. And they dug a well at the town of Beersheba. Now, interestingly, you're going to see in a moment, and we've already heard it read once, the name Beersheba uh, is a carryover, and we'll, we'll get to that. In verse 26, we have another interesting encounter that occurs. Abimelech came to him from Gerar. And Abimelech brings people with him. Who does he bring? His advisor, yeah, you did the same thing I did. Let's, let's answer him by description, not by name. He brings his advisor and commander of his army. And the commander has a name. What's that one? We can say that one. Phil Call, Phil Call, whatever. And we have run into this name before, haven't we? Um, let's go over. Um, I think I had that note earlier, but it fits better here. Maybe I don't. Let's go to, here it is, um, Genesis 21, and read verses 22 through 34. Genesis 21, 22 through 34. And what we're going to see is a similar encounter, but it's with Abraham. At that time, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, 
but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about the well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Okay. Well, that's what the people that go down the title route in their analysis, that's what they decided, that both Abimelech and Philcol were titles. And so we see Abraham, and Abraham's where? At Beersheba, and who comes to visit? Abimelech and Philcol. And we might talk some more about that in a minute, but now we see the same titles at least, maybe the same exact people if they're that old, come to um, Isaac. And so here they are, and Isaac said, Why have you come to me since you hate me and sent me away from you? So that's a reasonable question, isn't it? Okay, why are you here? What are you up to almost? And verse 28, they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. What did he just say? Let's see if we can unravel that a little bit. We see clearly that what? You've been blessed by the Lord. Well, so how does that change the game? You've been fruitful. You're successful. We don't want to be your enemy because we see that not only are you prospering, they connected him up with the God Most High, and they realize if they wind up coming against Him, they're coming against Jehovah. His God is powerful. Isaac's God is powerful. And they see that. And so they say, you know, well, we're here. It's clear. You're, you're, a, you're an important person. You're under God's blessing. And so we want an oath with you. And they say, what kind of an oath do they want? What do they want Isaac to promise? Not to harm them. Okay. And they give a standard by which they want that harm to not come. You see what I'm saying about that passage? What did they point to as the right level of not harming each other? Look there in verse 29. That you will do us no harm just as 
we have not touched you and have done nothing to you but good and sent you away in peace. Scale of one to a hundred. How honest was that statement? <laughs> Let's take him one at a time. Done no harm to Isaac. Has he been harmed? Made him move. Been made, move. made him move. I mean, Physically, no. you all have moved. You'll, do you think when somebody puts you in a position where I guess I better move away? That's not just a, a nothing adventure. And when you look at what Isaac had built up, that was a big deal. Um, he was used to grazing in certain places and watering his flocks in certain places. And, you know, who knows what he had built up. But he was a sojourner, so God said sojourn. So, okay, he's a sojourner, so he'll sojourn. How about sent you away in peace? How would you interpret, if you were Isaac, that little speech that Abimelech made, you've become too powerful, you've got to go. Is that a peaceful statement? Well, I mean, in one sense, they never attacked him. They never physically harmed him in terms of, for that situation. They went ahead and moved away. Now, what's all this well business and the conflicts there? How does that figure into this game? They kept moving away because they said the wells were theirs. So he'd dig a well and they go, oh, thank you, that's ours. They keep pushing And then we could say, well, that was the herdsman, not Abimelech. But if you go back up when Abimelech discovers that Rebekah is Isaac's wife, he puts the word out, doesn't he? Is Abimelech in a position to put the word out? Hey, he dug those wells, leave him alone. What do you think? He sure could have. As a matter of fact, go back to that other passage we read. This isn't the first time that Abimelech's played the well game. If we go back over to the interaction in Genesis 21 concerning Abraham, Abimelech comes and wants a similar kind of a peace, right? We want to make an oath. We're going to be... We're going to deal honestly with each other and be faithful. And Abraham does it just a little bit different. He says, sure, let's make the oath. But by the way, we've got this conflict over this well over here. Um, it, down in verse uh, <clears throat> 25, Abraham complained to Abimelech because the well of water which the servants of Abimelech, servants of Abimelech had ceased. They're at Bathsheba, Bersheba. So Abimelech's, at least that Abimelech's influence went that far. And, he, and Abimelech, of course, is sounds like a modern politician. Oh, I don't know anything about this. You didn't tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. I didn't know. Now, maybe that's the truth. I'm not trying to say it wasn't. But it sure sounds like a politician there. And so Abraham took sheep and oxen. He set seven ewe lambs by themselves and wanted Abimelech to take them. Why? Because that, as he took them, that would be his agreement, his payment to affirm that Abraham had dug the well. And so uh, in verse 30, you shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand so that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. For, well. And they called the place Beersheba, seven oaths is what that means, oath, O-A-T-H, not oats like O-A-T-S, seven oaths, 
And the two of them took an oath there. And so Isaac doesn't bring up the wells at all. But certainly, I think Abimelech, if he's clear to Bathsheba wanting a truce, wanting an oath with Isaac, truce might not be a good word, wanting an oath with Isaac, Abimelech has the power to do exactly what he did with Abraham, and that is, hey, those are Isaac's wells. What are you guys doing? But they said, I have not touched you and have not done to you nothing but good. That, I would say, is definitely a stretch. Sent you away in peace, and you are now blessed of the Lord. So then he, Isaac, made them a feast. They ate and drank. In the morning they arose early, exchanged their oaths, and then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. So Isaac's in a good spot. Abimelech has managed to ensure that his back door is not going to be opened by Isaac some morning in a conflict, and uh, that's, that's all set. Verse 32, now it came about on the same day, so when these oaths are taking place, Isaac's servants come in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we found water. So he called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Now Isaac wasn't the first to name it Beersheba. At least the well that Abraham had dug was named Beersheba. He's back in the same area, and so the real name for it as a city is cemented here when Isaac calls it Beersheba, once again meaning the seven oaths. Now we get to the last part here, which is an interesting add-on. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of, daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebecca. And so after they have moved, here is Esau at age 40, and he seeks and finds two wives, and they're both Hittite descendants. And that's going to come up again as Isaac and Rebecca have conversations later on in the book. But but here they are having married people in this foreign land. Where else have we run into Hittites? Remember? Who did Abraham buy the field from for burying Sarah? Hittite. From Hittites. They had come down from northwest of their ways. Um, they were up in the area of Asia a bit farther, or toward Asia at least, Asia Minor. But the Hittites are down here, and um, I, um, Esau takes two Hittite daughters, two Hittite women, for wives. And that brought them grief. <clears throat> and So how is this situation different than Isaac getting his wife, Rebecca? Isaac went back to Abraham's people. Well, let me, let me take the first part of your sentence and kind of set it aside for a minute. His wife came from Abraham's people, right? Right. Granddaughter of his brother. And so Abraham was very clear. Isaac didn't go. Matter of fact, it was really important to Abraham that Isaac not go back to those people. 
But the promise from his chief servant was that he would go back and bring a wife back for Isaac. And indeed he did. <clears throat> Why did Abraham want that? As a servant, he brought in to serve Sarah, creating a lot of havoc for them too. Well, he had an example of local women. Yeah. <clears throat> and the other thing, though, is, you know, he went into a land with a lot of, um, they weren't exactly God worshipers. And so he did not want his lineage to be from the local people. He did, he, and Abraham chose to play a very active role in finding the wife for Isaac, right? And do you remember who he said would go ahead of this servant to have this happen? God through an angel. He said, the angel of the Lord, so the messenger of the Lord is going to go see you be successful. The servant's saying, well, what if the girl won't come that I find? And Abram says, all right, if she won't come, your, your, your obligation to me is over. But she's going to come because the Lord's going to bless it. What does the servant do when he gets there? Praise. Praise. And he sets up a situation <clears throat> where he will know for certain that God has fingered this girl. I don't know if that's a good way of saying it, but he has, God has done the picking. That servant is dependent upon Abraham, his God, and the favor to Abraham and the faithfulness of God to lead them to the very right young woman. And indeed that works out, doesn't it? Is Rebecca a perfect wife? Well, we haven't seen much yet. We'll see a little bit going forward where if she was my wife, I'd have had, a, had to have a long conversation with her a couple times, at least once. So God didn't provide a, a woman without fault. Was Isaac without fault? No. It isn't that God found faultless people to put together, but God put together people through the prayers of Abraham, through the intention of Abraham, through honoring Abraham, through the prayers of the servant that would serve his purposes and would make a marriage that was workable and would be able through that marriage to see the promise made to Abraham about a lineage dependent upon descendants fulfilled. What do we see here in this marriage? Who got involved? No, no, Esau. Esau took the wives. Yeah. Esau picked two wives. He didn't just pick one, which I would think throughout history has always been a recipe for some sort of problem, if not an outright disaster. So he goes out and he picks two wives for himself from amongst the local women. And we just get a general statement. We'll get a little bit more personal general statement from Rebecca later, but um, they brought grief to Isaac and Rebecca. They certainly didn't fit in the family very well, did they? It was a problem. And I would say we ought to think about this beyond just marriage. I mean, clearly here's a marriage where was the Lord consulted? Well, not that we hear about for sure, 
Esau doesn't seem to be the kind of person that would consult the Lord anyway. But here is this ill-conceived set of marriages, apparently. They brought grief to the parents of Esau, Isaac and Rebekah. And God's just left out of the picture from everything that we see. And I would even say you could put a little bit on Isaac. Abraham gave Isaac a good example of how you help a child find a spouse in this era, at least. He got involved to help see that there, the spouse was one that God would, would, would be a part of bringing into Isaac's life. That's what Abraham did. Now, Isaac looks like pretty, and maybe things got ahead of him. I mean, do kids wait on parents? Not always. Sometimes kids do their own thing, but I think we can certainly see the value in decisions great and small in life, laying at the Lord's feet, pleading with the Lord for wisdom and for direction, and then depending upon the Lord. I mean, that's how Isaac is living, except for this one example, all the way through this chapter. God said to him, stay in the land, sojourn. He did. When things didn't work out, he didn't try to make them work. He just said, okay, I'll sojourn some more. God said, sojourn, here I go. And throughout this, he trusted in the Lord to the point that when he found the place where they would let him be, he said, God provided me a wide place. Now I'm here. And ultimately, he wound up taking himself up to Beersheba. But we just don't see much of that kind of dependence and thoughtfulness toward the Lord and his direction for them in thinking about and planning for uh, spouses, a spouse or spouses, even if you want to say it that way, for Esau. And we don't see any help with Jacob either, but Jacob kind of charts his own course, which we'll be, we'll be looking at as we go forward. Questions, comments, thoughts? You know, I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's right there. Calls him an ungodly, unholy, immoral man. And so I think that is demonstrative of all of Esau's actions. We see here, he was an unbeliever. He was. He was a godless, immoral man. And killing the birthright was a godless act. And taking those two native local women was an immoral, godless act. Mm hmm. Well, and, and, and I didn't bring it out right this minute, but there may be something too, maybe the expectations with Esau's future were low when God provided the insight that the younger would serve the older. I mean, the older would serve the younger. And so it's clear that Esau was not the favored one in God's eyes even before he was born. Maybe that wasn't a part of how they handled Esau. And I'm not saying that if they'd have done everything right, Esau would have had good home life. But anyway, that's where it was. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. Anything else? Well, let me close with a word of prayer. Father, you do provide for us. Uh, often you provide for us even when we don't see it happening and haven't entreated you for it. But Lord, uh, bring to our minds that we are your servants and we are dependent upon you and you desire to lead us through this life and lead us into 
the situations you want us to be in and will bless us when we wait on you to make things happen. Thank you for the example of Isaac here today. And uh, we pray that we would apply these things diligently to our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.